You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. I had never read through the book of Proverbs, just sat down and read through it. Um, and I still haven't. <laughs> uh, I've been preaching out here for a while, and I've never had a sermon series in my entire ministry when I was active in the ministry to do that, so, because I would read a few Proverbs and then get stuck. Go, what? How? I read and cross-reference, and all of a sudden I'm doing that. It just doesn't read with and as a narrative. So we're going to, John has given me, I think there's nine or 11 different Proverbs that we're going to weave into a mosaic and create a picture that God would have us understand today around the area and the nature of friendship. And this will serve as the last of, the, of our wisdom literature uh, foci. And uh, I can't digest these Proverbs uh, in mass. When John presents them, he lists about 10 or 12 in a row, and I'm going, stop, I can't think that fast. John's a professor at FGCU, and he thinks like a professor. I don't. So I've got them woven into the series, woven into the sermon, and we'll, give it, we'll take a look at them as we go, because I can only take one proverb at a time. It's like one bite at a time kind of deal. So, uh, Proverbs, and then we're going to start next week with This Is Us. Uh, we'll take a look at Old Testament characters and how they really reflect our characters and our spirits and our truths. Uh, looking forward to, to participating in that. Ordinary people called by extraordinary God. Yeah, that's great. Let's see if I got control of this thing now. The gift of friendship. Loneliness displaced by holy communion. Uh, John sent this to me. I didn't get a chance to uh, get it into the PowerPoint. He sent it to me kind of late. It turns out that the Surgeon General of the United States has decided and declared that there is a loneliness epidemic. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? In fact, the Surgeon General declaring there's a loneliness epidemic has said that at least 50% of the population has recently experienced or is currently experiencing loneliness. Huh. I thought, well, I appreciate the Surgeon General giving that some airtime and some time and attention and our tax dollars put to work. But my thought ultimately was, you are kidding me, right? 50%? I would offer to you that 100% of us at one time or another have experienced loneliness, are currently experiencing loneliness or its offshoots. Loneliness is the nature of our nature and what our Lord has desired to overcome. All of eternity and all of heaven is seen not as a destination, not as a place to get, but as a relationship to be offered, a relationship to be connected. As you witness as navigators and disciples that we witness in our Christian life, it's really about the nature of the people's need for forgiving relationship. In fact, somebody just wrote, somebody wrote not too long ago, relationships aren't something, they're everything. Oh, that was me. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, books are available in the lobby for $14.95. So the gift of friendship is what we're going to take a look at today. And it is essentially an antidote to loneliness to erase it forever. And it's more than anything else. It's a holy communion. 
And I mean a couple of things by that, but let's, let's go on and see what's going on. So loneliness, uh, Genesis 2.19, it is not good for man to be alone. That was God, and that's why Eve was created. That's why there was connection. That's why there was proximity, intimacy that uh, is reflected in everything from sexual relationships to emotional to spiritual relationship. All oftentimes uses the same language because it is not good to be alone. We've been designed to be connected, but we disconnected. It's like walking to the wall, pulling out the, the, the cord, and then going, man, it's dark in here. How come it's so dark in here? Who made it this dark in here? Why is it so dark? We're walking around in darkness, pointing the finger at others when we're the one who pulled the cord. So I wondered, well, I thought, well, let's see if there's any recent research about this phenomenon. It's not good to be alone. And here's what I found. Our synthesis of the published findings shows abnormal, abnormal structure and or activity in the prefrontal cortex, the insula, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the posterior superior temporal cortex. Loneliness alone was related to biological markers associated with Alzheimer's disease. Article of Neurobiology of Loneliness from the Journal of, I love this, Neuropsychopharmacology. I want to grow up to be a neuropsychopharmacologist and put that on my business card. The brain is ill affected by loneliness in very specific ways. By the way, I don't know what any of that means, really. I just put it up there because it, was, it sounded kind of cool. <laughs> but it's also, in more my language, the feelings of loneliness and its impact on physical health, weight gain, sleep deprivation, poor heart health, and a weakened immune system. Can we agree? From the beginning of creation to the neuropharmopsychobiologist types, the brain is ill-affected, people are ill-affected, communities ill-affected. In the language of today, loneliness sucks. And it will suck the life right out of you, quite literally, phenomenally. So, we're dealing with loneliness here, so, but we have to, how do we approach it? That's the next question. So I'm talking about friends and what I call hallmark speak. Now I want to do a little bit of a self disclaimer here because uh, my mom loves hallmark, okay? And I, I'm okay, I mean, she, she just can't watch more, enough warm, fuzzy endings, especially yes at Christmas time. So I, I get it, I, I don't want to deny my mom her warm fuzzies. But it's like, okay. So I found what I thought are those that my mom could appreciate, but are hallmark speak friendships. And the way in which many people in our culture, in our world, as you kind of exegete the culture, the way they sense the antidote to loneliness. Friendship is the golden thread that ties the heart of all the world. Isn't that just lovely? And I know I'm being sarcastic. It's a little bit drippy and syrupy. But this, I find even one a little bit more syrupy than this one. Uh, ready for this one? Let us be grateful to the people who make us happy. They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom. <laughs> Did I hear, oh. <laughs> OK, I got that quote for you. I didn't know you were coming, but I, I, knew, that you, I knew that you'd want to say it. I know, it kind of goes, it's not, it's not wrong, it's not 
bad. It's just... Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. John never told me about the power of the congregation speaks out, but I like it. I like it. It's an age thing. It's an age thing, yeah. yeah we, we're, a Jersey? Yeah, I'm from Jersey. Sorry. No, don't apologize for being from New Jersey. Just. So the third one is, but this is what I, I like. There's nothing better than a friend unless the friend with chocolate. So, um, that one I agree with. I think that, that, one, that one is great. So the point of all the hallmark speak language and the syrupiness is to say, essentially, oftentimes, that's, essential, that's all our world offers. And I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to it. It's just there's so much more. So much more. We're on our way to Holy Communion, and we're going to leave the warmth of hot chocolate with a friend behind. So the Proverbs have begin. We'll take with three Proverbs. This one from 1824. We're going to start with a category called "It's like this, not that." So the Proverbs will say, "This isn't a friend. This is a friend. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin." But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I wanted to drop in on the word closer. It really means clinging. There is one who sticks, who clings closer than a brother. I wrote the word mad in there, so I didn't forget. It's a long, much longer story, so I'm going to abbreviate it. A good friend of mine, a number of ministries ago, uh, had a uh, neoblastoma. Is that what it's called? Matt's, uh, Matt's cancer. He had a bad cancer that took over a system and killed him. And he was 37 years old. He left behind two youngsters that were about the ages of my granddaughters that you saw a long time ago. And it was, it was brutal. It was a brutal cancer. And he had all kind of difficult questions. And I tried to be both his pastor and his friend. And I was his friend. And it was brutal to stick by him. I just refused to step out of what I called the pain zone. It was like just to go over to his house and kind of walk through the threshold. You could feel the angst going on in the house. You could feel the questions and the kids running around and like that, knowing full well that's what Matt would miss. It was hard work. I prayed for the Spirit every time I went over there for a friendship because what I wanted to do was bail. I didn't want to go over as often. I didn't want to go over. And when I did, I had to breathe in the spirit, breathe out, because it was work. And if you've ministered to somebody who's going through a degree of suffering and hurt and pain and sorrow, you know that there is incredible joy in your presence just being there. And you want to do two things. You want to run away, or, and I'll get to this one later, or provide simple answers to complex solutions instead of saying to Matt or to your friend, I don't know either. So this clinging to a brother is more powerful than you can possibly know. No, no, here's another one. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. In a more, in a different translation, faithful the wounds of a friend, deceitful the kisses of an enemy. 
I like that, right? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Um, when I read this one, I thought of uh, a dear friend that I have had for about 49 years now. Her name is Mira Louise Gaelic. We were friends first before we uh, became lovers and before we became uh, married. We do that. And if there is ever somebody who can look me in the eye and say, that looks terrible. Or one of those little code words we have, you have a bat in the cave, you know, kind of thing. She's the kind of person that has told me, can tell me, will tell me, does tell me the things that I need to hear. And I can trust them from her. Now, let's review, let's review back up. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't go, gee, Mary Louise, tell me something else hard about myself. I don't wake up in the morning wondering about that, but I can trust that she will say that because she's a good friend. Better that than a flatterer. Oh, pastor, that was the, simply the best sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. What do you want? <laughs> kind of inherently know that. So good friends will, their wounds can be trusted. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. <laughs> I thought, how funny that the three-day the three fish story still uh, goes on. That uh, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. He will weary of you is another translation. They will hate you. Um, you got to you can be too much of yourself. You can grow too close. You can need some space. There's a way in which friendships and walking in life works, and that is both being separate and connected and keeping that balance. So, all right, the Proverbs, it's like this, not like that. But let's go to some Proverbs that describe what friendship is not. Characteristics of a non-friend. I don't know what to call them. I love this one. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. <laughs> Passive aggressiveness. It's so funny. I had just sent in the sermon and just kind of put it all together, wrapped it up, sent it in, and I was playing... Pickleball uh, at a park near uh, where, we, where we live. It's kind of a brand new park, still kind of finishing touches being put on. And one of the, uh, somebody was walking from who had a, like a name tag thing, it was turned. I couldn't see what, what, whose picture, what it said. And uh, I had a question about some of the things on, in the park. And I said, excuse me, sir, do you work here? And he looked up and said, uh, no, I just dress up in this funny costume and wear this. Just joking. <laughs> and I thought, this guy's writing my sermon stuff right here. <laughs> passive aggressive. Friends are not passive aggressive. They don't look like they, they tell you you've got an issue, not tell you in a funny kind of way, try and cover it up with humor. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound. Ugh is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. This is something that, back to the Matt story, and back to ministry stories, this is something that I've tried to avoid my entire life, and that's avoiding pastoral bromides. Now, sometimes it is most appropriate to pray for what you have to do, but what you're generally not going to hear from me, if you come to me with a complex problem or a difficult issue or struggling in your spirit, what I am not going to say is, Oh, just pray about it. 
The reason why, not because prayer isn't powerful, not because prayer isn't turning our issues over to the Lord. They are. But there's a way in which we have pastoral, what I call pastoral bromides, in which we deflect and keep the pain out for them, keep it on their world, keep it on their watch. And what a good friend will do is accept it and say, no, tell me about it. Let's search it together. What can I, how can I help? Rather than pushing it away and just pray about it. I wonder what God, must be God's will. Characteristics of a non-friend. Third and final one, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Nobody else liked that one, huh? That also just might apply to our marriage, but you need to know too much. So, so blessings of a friend. From Proverbs 25, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So a friend is one that you will rub against emotionally, physically, competitively, sports-wise, in which you continue to push each other to new heights and limits. The simplest metaphor I can think is my son Davis here, our youngest. And we had this rule of thumb in, in our house is that when the kids were young, maybe at the granddaughter's age, they got to win the game. When they got to be teenagers, you had to earn the one-on-one -on -one game. And uh, you should see the pickleball that we're playing now. I think we're right now five and four uh, uh, running uh, neck and neck. And pickleball just serves as a way to competitively work against each other. Dave wants to win a pickleball game. He's not going to get it handed to him. That's true in sports, but it's much more powerfully true in spirit and in life. A good friend will rub against and say, no, let's work on this together. Let's tie our wills together and struggle together so that we will both be better off as a result. From Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. This is a cousin of what we've already kind of seen. But it's the same call from the book of Proverbs that the blessings of a friend have to do with rebuke. And you can't trust the fact when they say, that was wrong and you need to apologize. That's a good friend. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. This one too reminded me of times you and I have been together with, in difficult circumstances with non-answers and in painful situations. What's also true is the, the friendships in the Bible quickly run through this. David and Jonathan, uh, after David had finished take, talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. I love that phrase. Jonathan and David were close. He loved him as himself. We won't spend too much time on uh, these. Uh, Elijah and Elijah were really close. As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Naomi and Ruth said that. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Uh, I've been asked to preach that as a wedding text over the years, and it's not a wedding text at all. It's not a wedding context at all. Uh, it's a daughter-in-law with uh, widowed from her mother-in-law, but it's still very powerful. Jesus and Lazarus, Jesus had a good friend. You know, when I graduated seminary, you want to know an odd thing? I was told I was, my training early on, remember, this was back in the dark ages when, 
We used to use feathers and quills and, and doing that. And uh, hard copy Bibles. I see some hard copy Bibles. I like that going on there. Um, is we were told that you should not have a friend in the congregation. That it would slant things politically. Yes. So I, I, I graduated from seminary in 1982 thinking you can't have a friend. And then I had some friends and I thought, what in the world? I'm reading the text and Jesus and Lazarus were good friends. I thought, oh, Jesus can have a friend in the congregation and I can't? You know. So don't tell the seminary, but I abandoned that really early. Paul and Timothy, to Timothy, my dear son, uh, he, he has a very tight and close relationship. The point of that is the friendships that the Proverbs speak about and the wisdom that's theirs have been prevalent throughout the scriptures and are there calling us into that kind of relationship because that friendship and the deeper it goes, the more powerful it is, is the antidote to the loneliness we started with. It ultimately comes down to the friend that we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. How many here know that song? That old song? Good. Uh, James, can we sing that as closing? No. Not on the fly. <laughs> Not on the fly. <laughs> Doing that. You know, every time I hear that, I, I, I'm going to get another one throwback for This is going to date your age here. Um, anybody remember Tennessee Ernie Ford? Raise your hand, yeah. I can hear the voice of Tennessee Ernie Ford because my parents would come home from church and put on the RCA 33 and the third record player uh, and uh, drop the album and Tennessee Ernie Ford would sing, what a friend we have. I'm trying to imitate Tennessee Ernie Ford, which is not a good idea. So the point of that is Jesus was seen as a friend of the low and outs, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. With some of the navigators, I was discussing some of my um, uh, modus operandi for discipling and witnessing to people. And I said, what's important for me, it's always been important for me, is to be able to speak the language of the people that I'm, I'm addressing, to go to their world. And that was early on blessed in my ministry because my dad belonged to a different world. He was not a pastor. He didn't graduate from a high school. He was one of 11 kids, and he was a bricklayer working really hard and long hours. And when I graduated from seminary, he had no clue what, what uh, a pastor does, none. And when he said, he, when I graduated from seminary, he says, remember the guy in the back pew? Because dad didn't have any theology speak, any history of scripture, any faith to draw on. He had to speak his language. So I wrote my sermons and adjusted my ministry to speak to the person who's sitting in the back pew. That's the point that Jesus is making here. That's what he's called. He's a friend of the guy sitting in the back, sitting in the back pew where tax collectors and other sinners. That, that's where they're at. If they're in the back pew at all, if they're in the church at all, they're friends. And Jesus was friend to them. Probably the quintessential scripture is what Jesus says to the disciples as his life begins to draw to an end on earth. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. 
the beauty of the reference is that Jesus places himself outside of the relationship of superior and into the relationship of connection. Friend of God. We are friends of God through Christ. Wow. Jesus says in Luke 22, an interesting turn of the phrase, he says, "With this is more of a literalistic translation, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Isn't it delightful to have a meal with a friend? Isn't there a lot lost when families don't eat together and celebrate together? What a friend we have in Jesus. But I really wanted to draw this to a conclusion with a story. Now, in 40-plus years of ministry, the number of times that I have read a story from a book are pretty low. But this one really fits. So I put this in the form of a question and thought, well, you really don't have an option. But, uh, <laughs> but I would at least be polite and kind of put it there. Uh, I want to read you a story of, uh, called An Advent Monologue from Ragman or the Cries of Faith. If this book looks a little tattered, it's because I have been through it any number of years. Walter Wengren, Jr. is uh, one of my favorite top five authors. And uh, Dave and his brother, Charlie, went to Valparaiso and, uh, along with Annie. And this is one of the professors there, too. And so uh, they gave me some books of his, and I just fell in love with his uh, style and his writing. Um, I think this addresses the phenomena of loneliness and the gift of the Christ in enormously powerful ways. So take a deep breath with me. Let's walk through the journey together. This will take maybe five minutes. From the book, it's called An Advent Monologue. I love a child, but she is afraid of me. I want to help this child so terribly in need of help, for she is hungry, her cheeks are sunken to the bone, but she knows little of food, less of nutrition. I know both these things. She is cold. She is dirty. She lives at the end of a tattered hallway, three flights up a tenement, whose landlord long ago forgot the human bodies huddled in that place. But I know how to build a fire. I know how to wash a face. She is retarded. If the truth be told, thick in her tongue, slow in her mind, yet aware of her infirmity and embarrassed by it. But here I am, well-traveled throughout the universe, and wise, and willing to share my wisdom. She is lonely all day long. She sits in a chair with her back to the door, her knees tucked high against her breasts, her arms around these, her head down. And I can see how her hair hangs to her ankles. But I cannot see her face. She's hiding if I could but see her face and kiss it, why, I could draw the loneliness right out of her. She sings a sort of song to pass the time, a childish melody. Though she is a woman in her body, by its shape, a swelling at her belly, she sings, Puss, puss. I know the truth, that she is not singing of no cat at all, but of her face, sadly calling it ugly. 
And I know the truth that she is right. But I am mightily persuasive myself, and I could make it lovely by my love alone. I love a child, but she is afraid of me. Then how can I come to her to feed and to heal her by my love? Knock at the door? Enter the common way? No. She holds her breath at a gentle tap, pretending that she is not home. She feels unworthy of polite society. And loud, imperious bangings could only send her into shivering tears, for police and bill collectors have troubled her in the past. Should I break down the door? Should my face show my face at the window? Oh, what terrors I'd cause then. These have happened before. She suffered the rapings of kindless men, and therefore she hangs her head, and therefore she sings, Puss. I am none of these, to be sure. But if I came the way that they have come, she would not know me different. She would not receive my love, but might likely die of a failed heart. I have called from the hall. I have sung her name through the cracks in the plaster. But I have a bright trumpet of a voice, and she covers her ears and weeps. She thinks each word an accusation. I could, of course, ignore the doors and walls and windows, simply appearing before her as I am. I have that capability. But she hasn't the strength to see it and would die. She is, you see, her own deepest hiding place. She is, you see, her own deepest hiding place. Then what is left? How can I come to my beloved? Where's the entrance that will not frighten or kill her? By what door can love arrive after all? Truly to nurture her, to take her loneliness away, to make her beautiful, so lovely as my moon at night, my sun come morning. I know what I'll do. I'll make the woman herself my door and her body enter in her life. Ah, oh, I like that. I like that. However, could she be afraid of her own flesh, of something lowly underneath her ribs? I'll be the baby waking in her womb. Hush. She'll have the time this way to know my coming before I come. Hush. Time to get ready, to touch her tummy, touching the promise alone, as it were. When she hangs her head, she shall be looking at me, thinking of me, loving me while I gather in the deepest place of her being. Oh, it's an excellent plan. Hush. And then when I come, my voice shall be so dear to her, it shall call the tenderness out of her, and loveliness into her face. And when I take milk at her breast, she'll sigh and sing another song, a sweet Magnificat. For she shall feel important then and worthy, seeing that another life depends on hers. My need shall make her rich. Then what of her loneliness? Gone, gone in the bond between us. Though I shall not have said a word yet, and for my sake she shall wash her face. She shall have a reason then. And the sins that she suffered, the hurts at the hands of men, shall be transfigured by my being. I make good come out of evil. I am good come out of evil. 
I am her Lord who loves this woman for a while. For a while, I'll let her mother me. But then I'll grow, and I'll take my trumpet voice again, which one would kill her. And I'll take her, too, into my arms. And out of that little room, that filthy tenement, I'll bear my mother, my child, alive forever. I love a child, but she will not fear me long. Look, look, it's almost happening. I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? I am coming among you as a baby. And my name shall be called Emmanuel. Amen.